Welcome to the Let's Get Vulnerable podcast with me, your host, Dr. Morgan Anderson, clinical psychologist, relationship coach, love expert, creator of the ESL relationship method, and athletic wear connoisseur. My mission is to help you raise your self-worth, have great relationships, and step confidently into the next level of your life. Each week, two episodes will air featuring expert advice, live coaching, and tips showing you exactly how to improve your life and attract great relationships. You deserve to feel empowered, secure, and loved. So buckle up and let's get vulnerable. Okay, I know you've heard of hot girl summer. I want to help you do something even better. I want you to have a securely attached summer. And that is why for only the month of June, I'm offering a discount for joining the program. And we know no matter how much we work on our our hair, our bodies, whatever, all the external stuff, going to the gym, etc., none of that compares to actually doing the internal work and finally taking the steps to move towards that securely attached version of you. So if you've been on the fence, maybe you've been listening to the podcast for a while, you just haven't made the leap, I want to invite you to apply now to the Empowered, Secure, and Loved Relationship Coaching Program. It is incredible, the transformations that are happening consistently inside the program. I know that you're deserving of getting off the dating roller coaster and really stepping into that next level version of you where you effortlessly attract that relationship that you desire and you become the securely attached version of yourself who has all of the tools that she needs to attract and maintain a healthy relationship. So let's have securely attached summer. And through the month of June, you can use the code secure summer 10 to join the program at a discounted rate. So the spots are limited. And this code is going away at the end of June. So make sure you go apply now. And you can let the team know you have the code secure summer 10 and you'll get 10% off the program. I cannot wait for you to take this step for yourself. You are deserving of doing the work and what a great time to do it as we're going into summer. You deserve to fully enjoy the summer and be at that next level version of you. Welcome to the Let's Get Vulnerable podcast. It's your host, Dr. Morgan, and I am so excited. We have Kat Harris with us today. Welcome, Kat. So glad to have you. Thanks so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here and just excited to get to chat with you and talk about all the things, love, dating, I don't know, all whatever you guys want to talk about. I'm really excited. I love it. And I want to let the audience know who you are. So I'm going to do a short intro. Kat is the host of the Refined Collective podcast, which I've been listening to, and it's awesome. Um, She's also the co-founder of the online publication, The Refined Woman. Her first book, Sexless in the City, was released April 2021. And she is a full-time photographer for the last decade with her work being featured in Vanity Fair, GQ, Forbes, People, Who, What, Where, US Weekly, Glamour UK, and more. Kat, you are a busy woman. (laughs) You know, just every day I'm hustling (laughs) and trying to find balance in my life and rest. (laughs) I love it. I love it. I had a funny moment uh, about a month ago. A friend of mine was saying, hey, I'm reading this great book. It's Sexless in the City by Kat Harris. You should check it out. And I had you already booked at that time. And I was like, well, guess what? I get to talk to her. So, oh my gosh, <laughs> that is so fun. I love that. That makes I me know. so happy. Yeah. That makes me so happy. Yeah. I was actually just recently, I took a couple weeks off post-launch and with a, some of my closest friends, we went down to Mexico and we're sitting on the beach and we're on our little chairs and then there's a group of people behind us and this girl starts talking about a book she's reading sexless in the city and i was like oh my gosh 
what's happening? Wait, <laughs> people besides like my family and friends are reading this book. Um, it just was so I turned around. And I was like, so <laughs> I was was <laughs> now that you know all the most intimate details of my life and <laughs> do you want to have a conversation? Uh, you know, I haven't had a chance to read it. It is on my to read list. I don't know about you. I'm always reading like five books at one time, but oh, yeah. I can't wait to read it. Um, can you tell us just a little bit about like, where did the inspiration for that book come from and what was your goal in writing it? Yeah. So the book, why I wrote the book is it's really this culmination moment for me of growing up in Southern conservative Christian culture and learning a set, a really specific set of rules and do's and don'ts that had to do with sex, my body, my femininity. And I really never questioned those narratives or scripts that I was given um, until I was in my mid to late twenties when I moved to New York city, mm-hmm. I moved to New York city. I dated more in one year than I had in the previous decade. And started questioning these beliefs that I was given from the church. Like, really? Like, I think I'm the only person not having sex in the universe. Why, why am I waiting until marriage to have sex? Like, why have I, why am I adhering to these, to these narratives? Are they still compelling? Is there still space for them? And so I, on the heels of a breakup decided to go on a journey of figuring out what do I believe about God? What do I believe about sex? What I, what do I believe about gender roles? All these, all these things and really deconstructed my entire faith and the sexual narratives that I've been given growing up and works to really rebuild, rebuild a healthy sexual ethic rooted in freedom, not shame. And so my book is that process and the book is the questions I asked and the journey I went on and the kind of the fumbles and failures and shoots and ladders game of, of moving, moving forward in life and growth. And I, a huge reason why I wrote it is because when I was on the journey myself, I didn't find a lot of research out there by women the the faith space was predominantly the the voices were male okay. and many of the men speaking into dating and sexuality in the church got married when they were super young and i just felt like you have no idea what it's like to be in your 30s and dating in a modern culture and i it's not that perhaps what they were saying was all crap some of it was but I just felt like I want to hear from someone who's actually walking this. I want to hear from a woman in her thirties and her forties. And that's actually navigating dating in a modern culture. And so I wrote the book to me 10 years ago, I wrote the book that I didn't have. Um, and I hope that it will really just equip women and men. I really want men to read the book as well, but primarily women who grew up and were given a set of rules and do's and don'ts about their bodies, about sex, whether they grew up in the church or not, and then Mm. hopefully equip them to develop a healthy sexual ethic that is rooted from the inside out, as opposed to connected Mm -hmm. to external obligation and shame. This is, you just said so much, and (laughs) I, I am so excited to read the book. I myself am working on a book. So I have a ton of admiration for you, a ton of respect. I know the, oh gosh, I don't even know how to describe it, but you have to be committed, dedicated. And really the word that keeps coming up is surrender for me Mm. as I'm in it, surrendering Mm. to the process. Oh my gosh. Um, So I have a huge amount of respect for you. And it's great because that's how I thought of the book as well. Okay, this is for me 10 years ago. The Mm. things that I wish had been written that I, the thing that I was searching for. Um, so I'm even more excited to read it and I hope our Mm -hmm. audience goes to get it ASAP. It's available on Amazon everywhere, everywhere, Amazon audible everywhere. And, and yeah, to your point, a huge part of the process for me was the two words that were literally written on my computer every day as I wrote were trust and surrender. Yes. And I also had another, post-it note that said, I finished strong Beautiful. because it's really easy to start a project. 
It is. And we live in a culture of, you know, instant gratification. So like do it as long as it feels good, you know? Well, guess what? It does Writing always... a book freaking sucks. <laughs> like it is yeah. hard. And even just every, especially if you're writing about something you really care about or your own story, I, even if no one else read this book, the amount of stuff this brought up for me in the process that I thought had been long healed was so worth going through it. But many, many days I didn't want to be writing. Absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. It it was super hard process. And, and now I'm post-launch and I've never been more tired in my whole life. I can only imagine, you know, Kat, I wonder if you relate to this. To me, it feels like a real identity process. Mm-hmm. And, and I've gone through this career of being a clinical psychologist and being mm-hmm. in private practice and then moving into the coaching space and, yeah. you know, speaking space and um, really changing how I show up and mm-hmm. how I help people and it's really caused me to say, who am I? What matters? What is my story? So it's, it feels like therapy in a way when you're writing. Absolutely. And even what I feel like there are, we all have invitations of like, what are the, what's the hill I'm supposed to die on? What's the hill I want to die on? And, and what is my message? I think that every human on this planet has innate worth and value and dignity. And every human is a leader and every human has a story to tell, like Mm -hmm. really honing in on what is my story to tell? What is the story that will be healing for those around me? And often the most healing story for others is giving ourselves the permission to move through our most intense sources of pain and, and seek healing ourselves first. Absolutely. Absolutely. I want to shift because you also said something that I think is so powerful. Um, I, I think about shame and the role that shame can play in our sexuality mm-hmm. and how when we have shame towards parts of ourselves, we kind of develop, um, you know, we can develop illness in that area or mm-hmm. it becomes yeah, yeah. It, it cuts us off from functioning as our authentic selves. So traditionally in the church, bless you, by the way, in the church, <laughs> she's sneezing. I like having myself on mute, but it's like so aggressive. <laughs> I can't hide it. It's okay. We're here. Um, you know, traditionally in the church, there's so much shame that's put yeah. on, on a woman's sexual being and her that's understanding right. sexuality. So what I love about your work is you're saying you can be empowered to have the decision over your body while acknowledging that you're a sexual being. Right. Right. Tell me more about that. Yeah. Well, I think, I mean, shame, thank God for Brene Brown's work. (laughs) Yes. But man, shame has such an agenda. Shame keeps us small, stuck, hidden, and isolated. Yes. And it is so... It just makes me so angry, actually, that the church, which is supposed to be a place of safety and a place where people feel known, seen, and loved by God and others, has unfortunately in so many instances become a place that is a shame factory. Mm-hmm. And what I've what I've also come to experience is that church and culture both give sexual shame. No matter what you have or haven't done sexually, you've probably experienced shame at some point, whether it's from a religious institution or whether you're at a party and your friends are talking about their sexcapades and you don't have a story to tell, or you're ashamed at, oh, wow. Like I'm ashamed because I've done too much sexually. I'm ashamed because I haven't done enough sexually. I'm ashamed because I don't know what I'm doing sexually. Like, I just think that shame is a leech that whatever Mm -hmm. angle you're entering the sexual conversation is going to try Mm -hmm. to latch onto your story. Mm -hmm. And I believe that there is freedom from that. And it starts with first normalizing the reality that 
Every human is a sexual being that sexual desire is good. I believe God created sexual desire. I believe pleasure is good and beautiful. Mm -hmm. I believe that it is time to stop the narrative that men are more sexual than women, because in that a woman who has a strong sex drive is shamed. Oh, is something wrong with me because I want to have sex more than my partner. And then there's shame on a man who perhaps maybe he doesn't have as high of a libido. Mm -hmm. Is there something wrong with me as a man? Am I not man? Am I not man enough? Cause I don't want to have, I don't have sex all the time when our whole lives were told men are just so sexual. They think about sex every five Mm -hmm. seconds and they can't help themselves. So women, you need to cover your bodies because men are just animals who can't help themselves. So we have, we've given this narrative to women that our bodies are bad, that we are less sexual than men, that men can't control themselves. So that's where we get narratives like, well, she was asking for it. Mm-hmm. No, I'm actually never asking for it. And actually yeah. I believe that men are just as capable of women as women and taking ownership for the, how they show up in the world. Yes. I talk um, about this all the time. Let's normalize yeah. men taking ownership and showing mm-hmm. up and having emotional intelligence. Men want that. Mm-hmm. They really want men are craving that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so when we have, when we have narratives that say like, oh, like men are just their sex drive. Like we're yeah. actually dehumanizing men when we're saying that, like, yeah. and we're oppressing women. Yes. Right. Um, I, I have a story that kind of, bring some topics together. And I just want to share it with you, share it with the audience. Um, I think like many people, I was brought up in a Christian church and from a very young age and it was just, I didn't even question it. Mm-hmm. Um, and my family, my twin sister and I, we were very involved. I was going to youth group Wednesday nights and going on Sundays, etc. Um, in the youth group, though, I remember being 16, and there was uh, another couple in there. It was an 18-year-old guy and a 16-year-old girl, and I was friends with them. And the woman, the, the 16-year-old girl, became pregnant. Mm-hmm. And the way that it was handled by the church is she was asked to leave the youth group, and the guy stayed. Wow. And And Kat, that was the first time in my young life that I began to question the church. Yeah, of course. Um, And I think that speaks to a lot of what we were just talking about. Yeah, it really does. And what's interesting is when I actually, on my journey of figuring out what do I believe about God and sex, when I went to the Bible I was shocked at Mm. how for women, God, the God of the Bible is Mm. how scandalously and provocatively Jesus, when Jesus walked the earth, Jesus revealed himself as quote unquote Messiah first to a woman and not just any woman, this woman at the well who she would have been seen as dirty and unclean. And she was a Samaritan woman. So she could have discredited his entire ministry, but Jesus was so for women that he revealed himself to a woman first mm-hmm. in the, in the Jesus story. When Jesus is resurrected, Jesus reveals himself first to a woman alone in a garden. Like women help fund the, the early church women are leaders in the scriptures. Mm-hmm. And something that I think is so powerful is in the old Testament in the song of Solomon song of Solomon is this erotic book of the sex life between King Solomon and his wife. And in a culture and in a time thousands of years ago, where women were viewed as property, where marriages were contracts and not love filled, where men were allowed to run run around on their wives and women were required to be pure. In this Song of Solomon book, the book opens with the bride giving her informed and enthusiastic consent about how she wants to experience pleasure in the bedroom. So it like the the Hebrew God is saying that women get to have pleasure in the bedroom. And in fact, we're going to lead with that. Yeah. 
I think what one of my gonna... first boyfriends gave me the song of Solomon, like that you can buy it kind of in a separate, yeah. you know, anyways, I'm remembering that. And it was yeah. like this romantic gift to, you're like, to Oh, it's that. like a, it's like a sex yeah. foreplay. Yes, <laughs> They're like talking about oral sex it's in there. Spicy. Yeah. It's spicy. But yeah. I think what has in my process, what I discovered was how I feel like I'm given this one message from Christian culture that is shaming that makes like your experience in your youth group where, mm-hmm. wow, doesn't it take two people to have sex? And also yeah. why would you ever shame anyone for getting pregnant yes. and keeping the baby? And, but what, what message do we receive? We receive that the women's body is bad, that it's her fault, yep. that there's no accountability for the guy. Mm-hmm. And it feels so out of alignment with what I read about in the, in the scriptures. Yes. Um, I think we've, I think we, I feel like the church, I feel like we've gotten it so wrong. It's really wonderful to think about that and and think about how much healing can take place when we start having these conversations and hopefully leaders in churches are having these conversations and really trying to repair some of the ways that women are seen in, in the church. And, um, I, I love what you're talking about. I think of empowerment, empowerment mm-hmm. of women to have ownership over their bodies. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And isn't, I mean, I feel like that is what we're trying to do culturally as well. Right. You know, yes. even in culture, women are, are expected to marry, to be married, to have kids in ways that men aren't. Mm-hmm. Most companies, in fact, um, don't want to promote women. This this is changing, but yeah. women are less likely to be promoted because they're a quote unquote liability. Because what if they get pregnant? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we still have a culture that says men are allowed to be sexual in a way that women aren't. We have a culture that says like if a if a guy you know, runs around with a bunch of women, he is, that's elevates his status culturally. Mm -hmm. A woman has a lot of sex, or if a woman has more casual encounters, what is she viewed as both women and men call other women like that sluts or whores or wow, I don't want to be with her. Well, why are, why are we still, why are we still shaming women for being sexual beings? Why do we still not have a, a equal standard for the mm-hmm. expectations of men and women. Um, why are we not asking men in their thirties or twenties or forties? Why aren't you married? I mean, I'm 35. My guy friends don't get hounded the way I do about right. why are you still single? Is there an underneath it, it? You almost feel like they're kind of trying to figure out if, is there something wrong with me? Yeah. I'm like, uh-huh. No, I just, I could be married if I wanted right now. I haven't met someone up till this point that is someone that I want to partner with. But men don't get asked those questions in the way yes. that women do. And I think it's time that those <clears throat> conversations shift. I I really appreciate that. And I think I had a huge awareness of this, of just how internalized it was for me about the biological clock and the timeline. And, oh my gosh, I'm a woman. I should be a mother by now. What's happening? Mm-hmm. When I turned 30, I had this meltdown and I went and got my eggs checked and I'm yeah. researching, freezing everything. And it would have been different if it was because that was what I had wanted to do. And I thought mm-hmm. about it but I knew that it was coming from this external pressure of that's what I should be doing. um, So I had to process all of that right around my 30th birthday. And I imagine many women feel that way too. There's these arbitrary numbers um, that we hit and we, we -hmm. start to, you know, question, I know that this is the path I want, but what are other people thinking? Right. And I think too normalizing, So normalizing the desire to have children and normalizing the desire. If you don't want to have children, yes, you are not less of a woman. If you don't want to get married, if you don't want to be in a monogamous relationship, you are no less human. If you don't ever want to have kids like that doesn't make you less of a woman. And the other side of that too, is something that I've been going through the past few years is, okay, I do want to have children. 
So what does that look like for me? I've always, I've always said, I want it within, I want to be married. I want to raise a kid. Um, I want to have a body, a baby with my own body, with my partner. But what if that doesn't happen? What are my other options? So I've been researching fertility options for the last few years of, okay, like just giving myself the permission to explore what are other avenues? Okay. Could I foster? Could I adopt? Could I use a sperm donor? Could I freeze my eggs? Like figuring out what are all my Mm. options. Even that has been, I mean, when I started going through that process, it was so grief filled because I first had to acknowledge how I'm not where I thought I would be at this stage in my life. And thank God I didn't get married in my twenties. Like that would have been a freaking mess, Mm -hmm. but wow. Like, okay, this isn't happening at least up until this point, the way I thought it would let me sit with that grief and Mm -hmm. disappointment. And like, what are other, what are other ways to reimagine the life that I really want to have? And are there ways that I could step into motherhood from a different angle? Um, so I think it's giving every woman the permission to be where she's at, to process what it is that she wants. And then like, okay, how can I move towards that? Beautiful. This whole process of, okay, when I'm in acceptance, when I'm in reality, that empowers me Mm -hmm. to align with what I want. If I avoid grieving or avoid being honest with myself about what I want, then I'm not able to empower myself to follow other paths and be Mm -hmm. open to other ways of meeting my heart's desires. Mm -hmm. So I I really appreciate that example. Mm And it's important. I like that you talked about that. Allow yourself to grieve. We have to, we have to feel through the only way forward is through. Yeah. Process the feelings. We don't want to, but that's what we have to do. I know. It's (laughs) cool. But when we don't, it just is going to come out sideways. Yes. Or I think also what can happen. I think this happens for a lot of single women. We lie to ourselves and pretend to not want what we really want. Yes. So whether it's, Oh, like, I really do want children. I really do yes. want a partner. It's like, oh no, like I'm a single girl. Like I'm yes. a badass business owner. Like I don't yes. need anyone. Well, yeah, of course, none of us need anyone, but it's okay to want. I think so I often as women, that. we yeah. shut down our desire because the cost of hope feels too great. It's vulnerable, right? It's so this- vulnerable deep vulnerability to share what you want and in being honest with what we want, we allow ourselves to fulfill it. So Mm -hmm. it's so incredibly important. And yeah, I I'll talk about like bad bitch mode. Like just as we were saying, badass business owner, like, Mm -hmm. Hey, I, you know, don't need no man, et cetera. Um, and honestly, we can understand that as a defense mechanism, as a protective mode, it's protecting Mm -hmm. my heart. Yeah. But what we don't realize is it's, it's cutting, it's cutting yourself off also. Yeah. yeah. You want. Yeah. Well, and also I think one of the most compelling things about a love relationship is that it's a choice. Yes. That it's not a need. Like yes. I need oxygen. Yeah. I don't need a man but I want one. And that's so beautiful. It's, it is. It's so beautiful. So I've been a wedding photographer for 15 years and one I've, I've shot so many different weddings, but something that always feels so powerful to me is seeing these two people that are committing to each other. And it's not because they have to, right? Like imagine like seeing, being at a wedding and listening to a couple give vows to each other. And it's, you know, to have and to hold because I have to, it's like, no, like I want, want you there's, um, Kirsten white. I think it's in the chaos and the stars. She says, I didn't fall into love. Like I walked into love with my eyes Mm -hmm. wide open. Mm -hmm. Like love is such a choice. And I think that's what makes it so, I I think it's why we all want it. We all Mm -hmm. want to be in relationships where we choose to be in them, Mm -hmm. you know, as opposed, you know, you have your siblings, oh, my family, like, oh, they're my family. Like I love them. They're my family, but no, like love, like I want you. 
Yes. To me, that's so much more powerful than, than need. Absolutely. Absolutely. And really getting to that place where you are giving yourself your self-worth, you are filling yourself up in whatever way that looks like for you. And then yes, it's this want, it's the, I like that walking in with eyes wide open, the the decision that creates such a beautiful connection that is empowering to both people Mm -hmm. and freeing and helps both people grow Right. Instead of, you know, you and I know many women will find themselves in a codependent dynamic that feels like prison or can feel really, really stuck. So this idea of, yes, you can decide that you want to partner with someone and that makes it beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think to your point of like want and need when I, when I am in a place of like, God, I need this other person to exist totally codependent. Right. But it also is making, it's me releasing power. It's me releasing autonomy and ownership for how I'm showing up. And I think it's so important that I get to meet my needs. Like, no yeah. one else is responsible <laughs> to meeting my needs or even my pleasure is up to me. Yeah. I get to communicate my needs. I get to first take care of myself, put the gas mask on myself first before taking care of another person. And even I feel like that goes into growth, finances. I get to be the partner that I want to be. I get to deal with my daddy issues. If I, if I, no partner is going to heal my daddy issues. If I want a partner that is financially stable, I get to be financially stable. Like we attract and are attracted to people that are on the same emotional level as us. Yes. So if I want someone who's emotionally available and I keep attracting men that are emotionally unavailable, it's yeah. showing me that I have work to do. Absolutely. So like, how can we take ownership for how we're showing up and, and work on ourselves so that we can have beautiful relationships? And this is the, some of the work you and I do. And, and the, I have a program, the Empowered Secure Love Program. And mm-hmm. it's all about that internal work because you and I know that, hey, you can do all kinds of things externally, get your hair done, whatever. But if you are not fixing that internal mm-hmm. part of yourself, mm-hmm. you'll just keep repeating those same patterns yeah. over and over. So, oh, yeah. so incredibly powerful yeah. what you're describing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I want to shift a little bit because we talked about surrender with writing the book. Yeah. But you and I know the power of surrender in your dating life. Mm -hmm. And I would love to hear from you what that looks like and how you nurture your dating mindset, essentially. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's a really good question. Surrender can look so many different ways in dating for me. One, two things come to my mind. One is getting really, really, really clear about what I want. What am I looking for? What are my non-negotiables in a relationship? What type of partner do I want? How do I want that relationship to feel? Do I, do I want to have kids? Like getting so, so, so clear about what it is that I want. So a future vision that then helps me walk out today with clarity and, and, um, and integrity and then holding it loosely. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I feel like what, what happened for me for a really long time is I got so like I had, I knew exactly what I want. I'm not going to compromise on anything. Yeah. And then it was like, I was almost like uh, legalistic about it. Mm-hmm. And the, I think the reality is I can be in high worth and be very clear about what I want and surrender and trust the process. Of okay, yeah. what if love looks different than what I expected for myself? What if, what if the person for me, what if he looks different than I thought he might look? Like physically. Yeah. <laughs> you know, what if I, what if I it's it's surrendering to the process of different avenues of meeting someone? Yes. So it's being open to different portals, whether it's you know, I feel like it can online dating. I understand that it can be difficult, but the reality is that over 50% of couples meet online. Online dating isn't going anywhere. Guess what? 
the last few guys I've dated, I met on Instagram. Like I think part of surrendering to the process is being open open to encountering love in different ways. When I'm out taking my headphones out, looking people in the eyes, smiling, and not just with the sole agenda of this might be the one that I snatch up, (laughs) but no, how can I lead with a posture of openness and curiosity in every area of my life and practice being present and then not closing off like online dating, social media setups from friends, like go on, go on a date with someone, be open. You never know what's going to happen. Um, so I feel those are a couple ways. And then just more personal is being willing to surrender someone who isn't what you want, Mm. because some, sometimes, or a lot of times something can feel better than nothing. So it might be all like, well, he has like all these things, but like, he doesn't want kids. Well, if you know, you want kids. Like Mm -hmm. that, you don't have to settle for that. And you can trust that you are worth having all of what you want. And so trusting and surrendering that person and walking away, knowing that, no, like I know what I really want, or it could be, wow, like I really, really like this person, but they've shown me over and over and over again, that they are conflict avoidant and unwilling to receive Mm -hmm. feedback all right. It's not my job to fix this person. If they're not interested in having a growth mindset, like I'm walking away because something isn't better than nothing. And I'm worth the -hmm. type of relationship that I really want and long for. And even I was um, seeing someone in this past year and it was like, oh my gosh, almost everything was there. But this one thing, Mm. And I was like, man, and it was an, it was a non-negotiable type thing. Yeah. And I was, that was an opportunity for me to trust and surrender. Mm -hmm. Okay. You know what? Like by me moving forward in this relationship, like I am not trusting myself. I'm not trusting God. I am believing that like God couldn't have amazing, an amazing relationship for me. So it's surrendering. It's surrendering yeah. the, the, the almost for believing that beautiful. you're worthy of the whole thing. It's surrendering, it's surrendering the crumbs and trusting that you're worth a feast. Yes. So powerful. And that can be really hard. It can be. I'll, I'll talk about how we have to make space for what we truly desire mm-hmm. And if you have, you know, situationships or people who are okay, they're almost what I want or on again, off again, et cetera. And you have these relationships that are not really what you want. Maybe they're eight out of 10, seven out of 10, but they don't really meet what you desire and what you know you want. They are taking up your valuable space. They're taking up your valuable energy and you deserve to make space for what you truly desire. Right. Right. And even what if the, they have nine out of 10 things, but the one thing they don't have is they only view you as a friend. Yeah. Girl, I can't tell you how long and for how many years I settled for a friendship with guys that I was really in love with Mm. that hoping that, Oh, maybe they just need more time. Maybe, you know, no, if a guy is not interested in you, don't hold the space. Yeah. Yeah. Because then I was blocking myself from Mm -hmm. love for so long because I would get in these long, drawn out faux relationships with men who really just wanted to be my friend and would communicate that. But I would be hopeful that they would eventually change their mind. And what I was really doing was working out my daddy issues of, oh, maybe my Maybe, maybe I can heal this little girl in me that wished her dad would have stayed. Uh, I I could have shown him that I was worthy enough for him to change. Like really, that is what so much of that was about for me. Um, and it just can manifest in, in so, so loudly in our love lives. It can, when it's not healed Mm -hmm. and so powerful that you can, take your energy back and take Mm -hmm. your time back. And, and I think knowing that 
even when we look at those past relationships, I myself um, love dating unavailable men, either in the form of very long distance relationships Mm. or kind of sometimes uh, I wouldn't say inappropriate, but um, relationships where there was an authority. So like I dated my high school English teacher outside Mm -hmm. of high school but that was somebody who was very unavailable. Mm-hmm. Anyways, yeah. it was that same, same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but when, when you're no longer doing that, um, you're freeing yourself up. And what I was going to say is those relationships teach us. It's not yeah. as if it's a waste of time, right? You're learning about yourself. You're growing those relationships. And I, I really truly believe that any relationship we have is, is designed it's by design and it's, it's there to help us grow in some way. I, really I agree with that. I agree. I think every opportunity, every interaction is an opportunity to grow. If we, if we choose it to be, if we're open, if we're open for yes. it. And I think another thing when you were talking that came up for me is man, we're not good sitting in the tension or sitting in the not yet. Like, so we fill our lives with the almost it's easier to be like, Oh, you know, I'm feeling lonely. I'm just going to text this guy, get, get my little dopamine hit, you know, even though I know this person isn't going to really give me what I want. And so what's harder is for me to be like, wow, I'm feeling lonely tonight. Yeah. I would, I really wish that I had someone right now. Mm -hmm. It's so much harder to sit with that. But I think it's a muscle that if we lean into and strengthen it will serve us in every area of our life. Like what if I let myself sit in my unmet desire as opposed to watching three hours of Netflix or scrolling for two hours on Instagram or texting that guy that I know doesn't really like me. You know, mm-hmm. what if we got better at sitting in the in the tension of unmet desire and expectation? Yeah, this is so powerful. And it really does translate into every area of life. Mm-hmm. But I think you're talking about embracing the process here too. Of mm-hmm. This is part of the process mm-hmm. to be yeah. able to sit through it. And yes, it's a muscle. You become stronger. You become better at it. And I think about in my own dating journey, um, I had to learn how to be alone and how to not cover it up with, Mm -hmm. you know, whether it's friends or TV or Mm -hmm. alcohol, right. Finding ways to cover up loneliness. But once I allowed myself to really sit with loneliness, it really helped me reconnect with myself. Yeah. I think it's an opportunity to really reconnect with ourselves when we're, when we're sitting in loneliness. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So that's good. That could be a whole other podcast, I'm sure. But I really, (laughs) I really appreciate your, your perspective on that. And once again, yeah. Allow yourself to have that space for the partner that you really want Mm -hmm. and really desire. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. It's in this, it's in this space that the unexpected happens. (laughs) Yeah. And I, so in the program, I have an exercise that I'll do with women and it's actually writing out a letter or writing out notes to your partner and Mm -hmm. checking with them even before you've met them. So if Mm -hmm. you're in the dating process, you haven't met anybody it's holding that space for that partnership Mm -hmm. that you know is available to you and that you deserve and actually writing out a note, writing out a letter, because that's telling your brain, even though it's not physically here right now, mm-hmm. I know it is out there in the world and it is available to me. Yeah. yeah. And we really have to feel into that and know that. Yeah. Yeah. It's staying connected to hope. Yes. It's believing in possibility. It's believing that outside of what my current reality is showing me, what my circumstances, feelings, or past have shown me that a different reality is possible. And that's what faith is. Faith is leaning into the unseen. Faith is saying, just because this is the way things are, doesn't mean that this is the way things will always be. Mm -hmm. Uh, Or I love Ruthie Lindsay says it in her book, There I Am. She says, just because you know a book by heart doesn't make it true. Mm. So like creating space is trusting in in possibility. 
Yes. It's putting my mindset towards abundance because yes. we're, our minds are, our uh, evidence they're on the evidence hunt constantly because they're wanting to create short circuits and patterns to, and to make new neural pathways so that we don't have to think about things. So our brain is going to look for evidence. And often we are very committed to looking for the negative evidence. See, I'm always the friend. It happened again. And so we get so committed to these limiting beliefs and our brains are just on the evidence hunt. So we're just looking constantly for evidence of beliefs that might be real because of your past circumstances. Mm -hmm. But you, we, I get the opportunity to rewrite the story at any, at any point. Absolutely. And if we're going to be looking for evidence anyways, like why not like what you're saying, lean into possibility. Yes. And I love that you said at any point, you can decide to do this no matter your Mm -hmm. past, no matter your dating history, you're Mm -hmm. never too broken. You can decide to lean into faith, to lean into possibility at any point in your life. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there's one last thing I wanted to just touch base on with you because I think a lot of the listeners can relate to this. Being such a successful, driven woman that you are, how do you make time in your life for dating? What does it look like for you to balance that? Yeah. Well, I think that we make time for the things that matter to us. And I think that our, how we spend our money, how we spend our time reflects what our priorities are. And so you can say, oh yeah, like dating is a huge priority to me. And then I can coach you through and we can look at your life and well, you're okay. You're working 14 hours a day. You have plans every night in the week, actually based off results, based off like actually how you spend your time this isn't a priority to you. Um, so for me, it's been a practice over the last five or so years of creating space in my life with our careers. We're willing to do anything and everything that we want to do that we're willing to do anything and everything to move forward, to climb the corporate ladder, to get the financial breakthrough. We'll spend hundreds of thousands of dollars on education. We'll work for little to no pay at internships. We'll move cross country for job opportunities. And yet with love, we'll be like, well, if it happens, it happens. Or I don't want to like be too controlling about it. I know. And it's like, wow, like what if, what if I, what if we were just as intentional about our love life? If that's something that matters to us as we were about our career, about our fitness. And so if a relationship is something that you want, does your current life reflect that? If not, how can you take steps towards being just as intentional about your dating life as you are about your career? Maybe that means hiring a dating coach or a love coach or going to therapy. Maybe it means downloading that dating app and really giving it a solid try. And maybe it's blocking. This is something that I've done for years is I block out a day on my calendar and that's my date night. Even if I'm not dating anyone that night on the calendar is open in case one of the online dates comes through. And if not, if that night is open, then I get to take myself on a date. I get to show myself how I want to be treated. And so how we spend our time reflects our priorities. Um, So for me, it's just super important to have a life that reflects the life that I want. Absolutely. I had to have that, you know, come to Jesus moment myself, probably two, three years ago. And I was, you know, stepping into the coaching space and coaching all these women on dating. And then I myself was not making any time for Mm -hmm. it, you know, working till 11 PM, not even really seeing my friends, et cetera. Um, And I had this realization of, I think so. I think so many women tell themselves this, Oh, when they show up, then I'll make time. Right? No, it doesn't work that way. You have to create the space before the person is in your life and and make it a priority. Yeah. Um, Yeah. It's like saying, I'll be generous when I'm rich. Yeah. No, generosity is a posture. 
It is. So if I, I get to practice being generous, whatever my paycheck is, if yes. that's a value for me, you know, like I can be generous today. If I'm, if I'm stingy when I'm, when I don't have money, guess what? You'll be stingy when you do have when money. When you do. Absolutely. Same principle. Money makes you more of who you already are and being in a relationship will make you more of who you are as well. It'll have mm. you feel more of what you already feel. Mm. Yeah. It's a multiplier. Money is a multiplier. A relationship is a multiplier. So you have to be so conscious of where, where you're at. Mm, Yeah. So good. I haven't heard it put it that way before. Yeah. Well, I so appreciate you. And I think our audience is just going to love this episode. Um, I do have one more question. Yeah. So I ask this of every guest I have, and it's, if you're walking down the street, somebody you've never met before, they come up to you and they want your best life advice <laughs> at the moment. It doesn't have to be of all time. It's not going on record all time, but at the moment, what would you say is your best overall life advice? Oh gosh. At the moment, I would say that resting is your secret sauce. <laughs> Ooh, I like it. Yeah. Resting, giving yourself the permission to rest. That's awesome. I so, so agree. We need it. Mm -hmm. We need it. Yeah. Awesome. Um, And how can people connect with you? What's the best way to get in touch with you? Yeah. So my Instagram and website is the refined woman. My weekly podcast is the refined collective and my book sexless in the city. You can get at Amazon or an audible or Barnes and Noble, anywhere you buy books. Or if you want to learn more about my book, you can go to sexlessinthecitybook.com. Thank you so much, Kat. This was such Mm. a wonderful conversation. I appreciate your vulnerability. That is the name of the podcast. Let's get vulnerable. (laughs) And you were vulnerable. And I really, really appreciate that. Thank you for sharing with us. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's been so much fun. Of course. And everyone, you know, I'm wishing you high self-worth and great relationships. We'll talk to you soon. You guys, thanks for tuning in. I really appreciate each and every one of you. The best way that you can thank me is by sharing this episode on Instagram, Facebook, and making sure that you tag me at Dr. Morgan Coaching. And it would really mean the world to me if you took just two minutes to leave me a five-star review on iTunes. This podcast is not free to produce, And the more that you help this little show grow, the more people will have access to this valuable information. So until next time, I'm wishing you high self-worth and great relationships. Thank you for being part of this community.